Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. back everybody to another episode of East Meets West here on Suplex Retreat. I am Scott McClary, welcoming you once again to another episode of the show that recaps everything going on in the world of New Japan. We may not bring you episodes that often, but when we do, we always have a lot to talk about, and I'm sure my ever-present co-host, Grammy Robbie, would agree. I have Scott, definitely. There's a huge amount to discuss just off the back of Power Struggle, um, what happened on the road to Power Struggle and our upcoming tournaments as well because they have stacked us big time for November and December. Yeah, I made some uh, frustrations about New Japan Clear on uh, our Central the other week there. I'll mention them again later on when we get into the, the tournaments. But a quick reminder that you can find East Streets West and all the shows on Elite Suplex Retreat's back catalogue on all good Android podcasts and sites, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, and follow us on Twitter to get notifications about when shows are going up and how you can get involved with the conversation uh, at SuperHitsReview on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also join our Facebook community page. Uh, we'll dive right into everything going on in Japan. We'll first talk about uh, a little bit about New Japan Strong. Uh, I don't know how much you've been keeping up with uh, New Japan's uh, US brand, but they recently had their Never shows which, as you, you suggested, they might be something a contender for the Never Open Weight title. Uh, I don't think it actually was leading to that. I think it's just a case of sharing that name, the idea of like mixing it up with heavyweights and juniors, and it featured some uh, some interesting matchups we may not have thought of. Uh, they may not have thought New Japan would present. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of big surprises in there. I mean, Jay White getting a, a one-on-one with Rocky and Hikaleo with TJP, Definitely promoting that never open weight idea, but yeah, I couldn't have been wrong any more wrong if I guessed that it was going to try and set up an open weight challenger with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, some interesting matches with Hikaleo and TGP was an interesting match. Uh, TGP held in there more than you'd expect with someone the size of Hikaleo. Like, I thought, oh, well, TGP's smaller, maybe that gunslinger finisher that Hikaleo's doing will look better on TGP. Still didn't look quite right. That boy needs to think about maybe getting a new finisher. And as well as the G White Rocky Romero, I think it's the one a lot of people had their eyes on because, you know, I think ever since G White left Chaos and joined Bullet Club, Rocky Romero has just been relentless on commentary, you know, calling him out for his heel actions. And so it was interesting to see them actually face off. And you could quite clearly tell that G White was not taking Rocky as seriously as he maybe should have. Yeah, it was it was actually a really really good match. You know, it was um, a bit longer compared to quite often the sort of the matches we get on these New Japan US shows, um, clocking in just over fourteen minutes. But yeah, I mean, Jay almost paid the price with um, 
just being overly cocky against Rocky. And, uh, you know, a good long-term story, like letting it build up to this point, finally getting them in a match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a shame it wasn't, you know, a show where like, you could actually get people in attendance to see it. You could clearly tell the arrogance of, uh, of Jay White, you know, just coming out with a T-shirt on. You know, and also he wasn't expecting to for it to take like fourteen minutes from to beat Rocky Romero. At the start of it, nearly took him away with a with a roll up. Uh, but it's good for actually finally got to see those two face off. Something else I liked seeing was uh, Alex Zane taking on PJ Black, and I it nearly went there the ten minute mark because uh, Alex Zane he's this, he's got a good size on him, but also he can do a lot of interesting high fly moves. You know, some moves I've seen from him I don't think I've seen. From anyone else, kind of before, and uh, so he's like one of the faces like that we've discovered the New Japan Troll. I'm, I'm keen to see whenever he makes an appearance. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't know if you've heard about like there is talk that well, Alex Zane is finishing up his indie appearances um, imminently, and there is talk that uh, he is going to be announced as joining NXT, which could be a big shock, you know, pulling him away from such a, a great promotion. Yeah, I could see, like, I know, like I said, he's taller than you'd expect from most high flyers, but I think weight-wise, if he fits, like, the the weight limit, I think they'd want to get someone as innovative as him as part of the cruiserweight division, possibly. So I think that's maybe why, I hope it's not a case of, like, what WWE's been known to do in the past, where, like, they sign somebody with just a little bit of buzz just so they can say that they have them, because, you know, we've seen that happen to many others in the past, and... Uh, somebody else who I think is getting a lot of attention is Danny Limelight. Cause I actually saw him pop up uh, on AEW Dark recently, uh, teaming with a titan called Jersey Muscle Society in a losing effort to Jurassic Express. But I was just a bit taken aback, you know, to see him going from the uh, finals of the Lions Break Crown to then popping up on AEW Dark. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's quite sort of like showing the fact that. Um like the sort of the door seems to be open between some of the promotions in America right now. They're a little bit more lenient than usual with letting their talent jump around uh, Ring of Honor, Impact, uh, New New Japan US, AEW. There seems to be a bit more free use of the of the free agents to an extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I think it'd be a shame if again if New Japan lost both Alex Zane and uh, Danny Limelight because again they're it's taking the time to introduce people who may not have been known to a wider audience, and so like I know obviously for them it'd be more better like money wise if they went to AW or WWE, but I think you know the potential in New Japan is just like you never know where these guys could go. Yeah, and I mean I think that's where New Japan's biggest obstacle they're going to have in America is they don't have the same financial power mm-hmm. as as the bigger companies like WWE and AW have. Um, a, lot, a, a very like sort of devoted fan base, but I, I do believe this is where New Japan is going to have their struggle in sort of making their US brand a top competitor. I think it's still a long way away from that, but I definitely like what they're doing with it so far. It definitely feels very eye catching. Yeah, I, they are having some difficulty. I think it's only going to go so far in the current circumstances we're living. I think once we get crowds back again then I think they can maybe take it to where they want it to go. And like, they keep saying, oh, we're on this tour, we're on the Never Tour, now we're on the road to Showdown, which is the next kind of big thing. Like, I find it funny whenever they say they're on a tour when they're only, they keep broadcasting shows from the same location, which you hardly describe as a tour. 
Yeah, that still makes me laugh. It's like we're on the tour. It's like, but from what we can tell, you're in the same place. There hasn't been any moving about, and I think it's quite obvious as well when you see some of the talents involved how far back some of these matches were probably recorded as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we take this tour from here all the way back to here <laughs> because yeah, <laughs> even like Kenta and Jay White are still big parts of the show. And we'll, when we talk about Power Struggle, they've also got big things going on over in Japan as well. And you got to wonder how much longer like, they'll be featured on the shows. I mean, we know that one of the key matches for our showdown is uh, uh, David Finley finally getting an opportunity to challenge for that right to challenge a briefcase. We can talk more about that when we talk about the other right to challenge briefcase match uh, that Kenda had on Power Struggle. But... Somebody who also, like we mentioned before, we were impressed with and have become even more impressed when we had matches with the likes of uh, Carl Fredericks and Jordan Clearwater recently. Fred Roster is clearly becoming a bigger part of New Japan Strong as weeks go on. Yeah, I get the feeling they're going to be pushing him quite heavy. Um, when they lose the likes of Kent and Jay White going back to Japan on the more full-time basis and they're recording start to become more up-to-date, I wouldn't be surprised if you see Rosser being a big name for them and quite rightly so, he's looking absolutely fantastic these days. Oh yeah, he's still in phenomenal shape, and even though he may not have been the biggest star when he was in WWE, you know, that brief association with Nexus, a lot of people remember, and also being a, a tie team champion there, as they, they, they're keen to mention, I think he had, the fact that he has some notoriety, given that he was in WWE, I think for a more casual fan, they want to take advantage of that. And I'm looking forward to his next big showdown because at New Japan Showdown, uh, I think this week as we're recording, we're recording this before showdown, but you'll be hearing it afterwards. He's uh, got a big singles match against the returning filthy Tom Lawler. Yes, he does. And that is a match which I am very interested in. Second match on that card. To me, I would have put it it as the main event. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking very much forward to that one. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what a... Tom Waller's relationship with New Japan is at the minute because uh, MLW, the main promotion that you think he's known for, is talking about running shows again very soon. I think as soon as uh, the 18th of November, new episodes of their main show will be coming back out. And so like what the relationship with MLW is, because I think MLW has a relationship with Dragon Gate. So how I think maybe the fact the only reason Tom Waller is allowed to work with New Japan maybe is because he's working with the US branch of it. Because uh, I'm not really sure what the contract state is as well, a lot of uh, the MLW wrestlers. But again, like, I'm looking forward to seeing what Tom Waller can bring uh, to New Japan. And like you said, yeah, that's definitely a main event match. Yeah, I mean, definitely the, the showdown cards, um, nice, nice, tight, compact, but they're very, very interesting cards, very unique and really different guys compared to what you'd expect to see. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out over the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Another clash of sales I'm looking forward to seeing on that one of those cards is uh, Tamatonga versus PJ Black. That's a weird uh, match I never thought I'd see, but I really want to see how, what goes on there. Yeah, I was quite surprised at that being a singles match, but fair play to them. I think it's going to be a, I think it's got the chance to be a belter because PJ Black is quite a good high, was a good high flyer. And mm-hmm. you know Tong- Tonga, you just really kind of go wrong with him. He just moves. He, the guy is fast and he's powerful. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we'll see much of God in the coming weeks after this with New Japan Strong, depending on how far back this was taken. Given that they they are going to be part of World Tag League, but 
talking of tournaments, on the 12th of December, it's been announced, and I believe this will be part of it, New Japan Strong, or at least Tate, around the same area they, they take New Japan Strong in. The Super Jacob has returned. Uh, it's going to be a one-night tournament, single elimination, so a junior heavyweight tournament. Uh, the bracket has been announced to be uh, Chris Bay of Impact Wrestling taking on Lions Creek crown winner Clark Connors. Uh, and the winner of that match faces the winner of ACH and TJP. And the other side of the bracket is Ray Horace, representing Ring of Honor, taking on Blake Christian. And the match that you're shot that you would, they'd give away in the first round last year, Super Jacob winner ELP, El Fantasmo, taking on uh, one of his first matches ever since being released from WWE, Oleo Rush. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, I mean, all four of those matches are absolutely brilliant. But ELP these Oleo Rush, that is the big one. That is going to be absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a card, a hell of a line-up for this. And you, I think when, whenever the winner of this may, is able to get back to Japan, there'll be a top contender for the Junior Heavyweight Championship. Something, a uh, cool thing to interest me about this, one of which is uh, Rocky Romero obviously can't get to Japan right now to be part of Best of Super Juniors, and he's doing commentary, much like Kevin Kelly is like from his own home. If he's in the US, it's interesting to see why they didn't include Rocky Romero in the Super Jacob like bracket. Yeah, and I mean, I think my only real theory I've got behind that is the fact that Rocky tries to take less of a front stage role now, and he's trying more to be a he's trying to be more producer and things like that, and you know, give all these other talents more of a chance to shine, but. I wouldn't have said it would have been out of place if they'd put him into the Super J Cup as a kind of veteran to put against one of a like a younger talent like Clark mm-hmm. Connors, for example. But you know, I'm not complaining. Chris Bay being in there as well, Impact working with New Japan as well. Uh, if that leaves the door open for future collaborations uh, down the line, I'm all mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, I think the thing that surprised me about Rocky not being a part of it is like he has stated in the past that like he's been multiple times in your tag champ. And now, like, he thinks, like, I want to set my sights on a singles goal. I want to be the junior heavyweight champion. You know, he had a hell of a run in Best of Super Juniors last year. Like, before his match with Jay White, they mentioned, like, he went 27 minutes before eventually being able to tap out El Fantasmo when nobody thought he would. So you thought he'd be, like, at least to be in the first round and put somebody like a clock corners over. Uh, Chris Bay was a big shock to me. Like, I know TGP works. With uh, with Impact, but he wasn't announced as an Impact Wrestling an Impact Wrestling star taking part in this. Whereas they emphasise with Chris Bay that he is part of Impact, and so it's very interesting because like, it's no surprise that you see Ring of Honor guys showing up because they've got that relationship. But we all know the uh, sour history between New Japan and uh, Impact Wrestling, given that dating all the way back to former management and what happened with Okada and numerous other things and. As you said recently that New Japan weren't happy, they got kind of kicked off access when Impact's parent company Anthem took over it, and now that's where Impact is airing. But maybe they're trying, this is a way to kind of like re- rebuild the bridges between the two companies, you know, given that, you know, the good rulers have said they want to go back to Japan, you know, I think with them potentially going over at some point, and with Chris Bay taking part, hopefully, slowly, slowly but steadily. Uh, will rebuild that relationship. 
Yeah, it's, it's a relationship that I hope they continue to build upon because there's so many great match opportunities available there. Um, bringing the Motor City machine guns back into the mix, um, I wouldn't mind seeing like... Because let's face it, New Japan's tag division sometimes lacks a bit of depth. So if that means you've got better challenging options for the likes of the junior heavyweight tag division and stuff like that, then push it, push it as far as you can. And probably what's helped them is the fact that you do have Don Callis being one of the head guys in Impact. Mm-hmm. And I think that will help the relationship. And fingers crossed it does bear some fruit. Potentially, I do. I don't think Chris Bay will win the tournament, given uh, he's not a New Japan kind of guy, uh, and also Clark Connors. Obviously, they see big things in him in the future. I think probably his placement in this tournament is probably his kind of reward for winning Lions Break Crown, because I believe Carl Frederick was meant to be in the New Japan Cup before the pandemic as kind of a thing for winning the Lions Break uh, tournament or the Young Lions Cup. Sorry, but then he got put into the New Japan Cup USA instead because of the pandemic. So you can see this is kind of the next stage of him. They want to help him stand out against these established junior heavyweights. If I had to kind of put you on the spot, who do you see kind of winning this tournament? I think whoever wins ELP and Leo Rush, that's going to be who's going to take the whole tournament. So I think if they pull the upset, Leo Rush could win it. I think they might play it safe and go with ELP as a back-to-back winner. That would be my guess. Also, I think I think I can see it as maybe ACH Clark Connors as a semi final on the one side. Uh, I don't know if I want to sit, but I don't know if I want Clark Connors to go all the way to the final because uh, I know he's not going to win it. But yeah, I think EOP v Lewis Rush is a strong, uh, strong shout for winner. Also, on that night, it's a single like elimination tournament on the one night. Bit, to be out, they've announced a couple of tag team matches in between. Uh, they've announced Carl Fredericks and Ren Narita, who's not stepped in the ring in a few months, taking on the team of Kenta and Hikaleo. And while this hasn't been um, announced on New Japan's website, it's not listed amongst the matches. There was a Fight TV uh, advert for Super Jacob, which listed this as a tag team match happening on the show. It was the team of uh, Fred Rosser and Danny Limelight taking on the team of Rocky Romero and Filthy Tom Lawler. Both, both tag matches are going to be very interesting. I think the one for me that I'm most interested in is Narita and Fredericks against Hikaleo and Kento, Kenta because this is, if I remember correctly, this is going to be our kind of first proper look at Ren Narita since he went over on excursion to the New Japan Dojo in LA to go under Shibata. So I think yeah. it's going to be interesting to see how they present him. Do they still? Because this should be where he's developing the character, and that's I'm expecting to see a different presentation compared to normal for Ren Narita. It'll be also interesting to see Fredericks and Kenta kind of lock it up again because Kenta beat Fredericks in around five minutes in the first round of the New Japan Cup USA. I think a lot of people immediately dismissed Fredericks when that match was announced that Kenta was going to easily kind of go through him as guys like Fredericks kind of start establishing their characters. I think he'll be. Bailey would be like more competitive with the established talents. Uh, well, what annoys me about this tournament is that it happens on the 12th of December, literally the day after the finals of both Best of Super Juniors and World Tag League. So we've barely got time to settle in the fact that uh, we had two tournaments running at once and they're finally both ended. Then, oh yeah, we got a single one-night tournament happening the very next day. 
Yeah, and I'm pretty sure if I like depending on like because I know sometimes I get mixed up. New Japan's not best at advertising their American show times. This might actually all end up being like on our time zone the same day, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> Which, like it could be an unreal schedule for us. Yeah, I think it's like West Coast time or whatever. You uh, in the US when New Japan Stroke usually goes up on New Japan World. So you for most of the UK viewers. They say, oh, every Friday, New Japan Strong. For most UK viewers, we don't get to actually see New Japan Strong until the bloody Saturday. Uh, it's like three in the morning, Saturday hour time. So I wouldn't be surprised if that means it's like bloody three in the morning, Saturday hour time. Then you got to get up three hours later or just when you go to, to go to sleep and get yourself ready for the finals. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think like the uh, the final couple of days of the Super Juniors and World Tag you're going to be with live uh, English commentary. So they'll be able to get them up the same day. So I'm hoping to be able to watch the finals of that same day. And if like there's a delay with Super Jacob going up, as we said, then hopefully that means it gives me a, at least a couple of days respite. And then I'll be like, right, now I'm ready to watch this another tournament. And, you know, there's only going to be a few weeks of 2020 left after that. And, you know, if New Japan could squeeze another bloody tournament out this year, then, you know, they would... Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at the, they put up a tweet the other day and it is for World Tag League and Best of Super Juniors, it is 18 events in 28 days. That is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the first night and then the last two nights are going to be when uh, both tournaments are happening, matches when both tournaments are happening on the same nights and the rest of the tournament, they're basically going to be alternating. So, you know, occasionally you'll have mat- days where it's like 10 matches, whereas other nights it'll be just like five turn matches and also at the start a random like match with like young lions or whatever which i got to a point in the g1 where i started skipping those and going straight to tournament matches i mean i think um, i noticed for like tag league one or two they like the their warm-up match with the young lions it seems to be using veterans like honman that against the current crop of young lions so I'm going to follow them quite closely because I think it's going to be very interesting. The young lines are going to probably lose every single one of them, but it's character building. <laughs> yeah. Well, once in, I've seen one or two people on Twitter from the Honma. There were some people that were, aren't, were, that were unhappy that Honma didn't get included in the G1, but also said they weren't happy that he and uh, Maccabee, you know, Great Bastille, former two-time, I think, winners of this tournament, weren't included in World Tag League. You know, I don't think like Honma and McAbee have been like priorities in terms of like who they're utilising at the minute. Because you know, they both went out quite early in the New Japan Cup. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. When it comes to like Honma and McAbee, Great Bashio, and also the other one, Ten Cozy, um, mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I'm not that saddened by them not being there. It's uh, it's a new generation. Even with World Tag League as it is, there's still a couple of teams in there which don't, I'll be honest, make me very impressed to see. But on the whole, it's mostly a solid one and they've kind of got rid of a lot of the filler teams, which is good, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think they got rid of a lot of filler for both tournaments, given that they decided to go with a single block for both tournaments as opposed to two, which is what I thought they would have done for G1. Uh, we'll talk about the, the those two tournaments in more detail uh, towards the end of the podcast, we talked a lot about uh, New Japan Strong. Uh, or we'll talk maybe, I was going to say, we probably won't get to talk about New Japan Strong in the next couple of episodes because we're going to have a lot more to talk about that. It might fall on the back burner, but maybe 
2021 we'll talk we'll get back to it but at the moment it's not usually a priority and when we've got three tournaments to to follow along with it's going to fall right on the back burner yeah and i think now's a good time for us to talk about what's going to lead us what's happened on the run-up to these to, to these tournaments road to power struggle and power struggle yeah i was going to get to power struggle because i said to you before that i wasn't really like keen on following the road to shows because uh, well, usually they don't. Not much really goes on, and like usually the road to power struggle is taken up by the Super J Tag League, which is like I think the one tournament New Japan hasn't found a way to to give us. Like, and we got a a variation of it when we crowned new junior tag champs. But I thought uh, I don't know if I'll be able to follow it, especially given I was kind of burnt out after the G One. But then you point out only three nights of the t- of the tour were being were being broadcast on New Japan World. And it soon became apparent because all three of them had uh, big title matches uh, taken a main event in them, which made them actually worth watching. The first one being a never six-man title match was the champions Hiroki Goto, Tomi Yoshi, and Yoshihashi taking on the Suzuki-gun team of uh, Dangerous Techers and Doki. And I think it became clear that this match, especially at the end of this match, was basically being used to set up another match for later on in the tour. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, don't get me wrong, it was actually a really, it was a surprisingly good match. I was very impressed with it. Um, to me, it felt like a, a showcase for two guys, um, in particular, one being Doki, um, who we have got in the Best of Super Juniors. Because um, let's face it, he didn't have the most memorable Best of Super Juniors last year when he debuted, and he's kind of the little forgotten one at times. And Yoshi, Mr. Found a Personality during the G1 for once, Hashi. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you think Yoshiashi would be the member of that team that kind of got like worked over by the heels? Cause that's kind of stable that Suzuki Gun like to work. But it was actually Ishii who we talked about in his match with Jay White had uh, a bit of a knee injury, and yet still somehow managed to pull it out, pull out the win. But yeah, like after the G1 final, he ran. We got attacked by Suzuki Gun members backstage, and then it was him that got isolated through much of the match. Uh, with like that knee injury, and they worked it over. You know, kind of similar to how Danger Seekers did to say, Tanahashi in the Golden Lovers feud. Uh, but eventually, I think it came down to Koto and Yoshashi to kind of have to like pull it out the bag for the team. You know, the kind of various the elevated reverse GTR, which I still can't look out without wincing a little bit. I just it's an absolute belter of a move. Like it's just it's it's uncomfortable looking. I mean, you know, the six man match. Um, it was good. My, I'd say my only, my only complaint about it, it felt maybe too long, thirty-two mm-hmm. minutes. It was, but you know, it was a great showcase for all the guys, and it did set up. Um, as we, as we mentioned, it did set up a future match on that road to power struggle tour, which I was very happy with. <laughs> yeah, it set up uh, a tight title match for the third of November show, which we'll get to later on. It was Yoshihashi and Goto challenging Dangerous Takers. I, I did like the setup after like the six man title match where you got uh, basically Yoshashi basically made the challenge saying like we want the I shot the tag team titles and uh, it's actually we're just like we want to say like no never like you'll never be IWGP champion you got that never what the fuck is never you'll never be <laughs> IWGP you're a loser oh god he absolutely just poked and prodded and it's like which one of these is actually going to team with Yoshihashi anyway and it's like goes like I'll do it 
Yeah, because it was weird. We talked about going forward a potential team of uh, Ishii and Koto, and then it turns out like the team out of that, like the team coming out of that was Goto and Yoshihashi. I was raging at that. I was like, why would you do this to me? <laughs> I mean, Ishii's found, uh, I think, an, uh, another worthy partner, I think, but we'll talk about that later. But on the, the 2nd of November, Power Struggle, we had a junior tie title match. We had basically a rematch of the tournament final to crown the new champs, where uh, Kanemaru and Esperado again, Suzuki Good were bloody all over Road to Power Struggle, especially the bloody main events. Uh, it was them taking on uh, Hiromu and Bushi, again with like, their half and half like masks. And like, it was a really fun match. You know, Suzuki managed to retain the titles. I think. But there was never really any doubt that they were going to retain because I think they kind of rushed into this uh, rematch with Hiromu and Bushi. You know, I know we talked about the potential of Hiromu and Bushi being junior tie champs, but I think it's further solidified that Hiromu is not done with the single spell and like, then they decided, oh, let's just get this match out the way. Get, so we've got like a big match to promote for the Road 2 shows. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that... Um... Kind of the whole point of that junior tag match wasn't really to be about the junior tag belts, but more to set up the uh, the potential big matches within the best of super juniors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think like it's kind of big enough, especially between El Desperado and Hiromu. There's a lot going on there between them two, and I get the feeling that when those two clash in best of super juniors, it is going to be an absolute show stealer of a match. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's a shame because like Hiromu and Bushi looked really good in this match. You know, they had a lot of cool like double team moves, but then like the finish kind of just felt underwhelmed because like the faces kind of dominated a lot of it, and then just like the heels just come in like El- yeah, El Desperado hitting Pinchy local and picking up the win. So you know, it felt like a flat end to a really solid match. Yeah, it just the ending just kind of came in out of nowhere. It was done and. Yeah, I, I had the same feeling. I was like, this is a great match. And it was actually one that, you know, it's it something like 25 minutes. I was like, give it another five minutes, you know. Um, not complaining about who won, because I definitely think the match itself just never should have happened in the first place. It was too soon. We pretty much had them twice back-to-back in that tournament just about a month and a bit ago. So, you know, it's one of the times where I'm actually I'm annoyed at New Japan for kind of forcing the same match over and over too quickly. Normally, they're quite good at spacing them out. Mm-hmm. I think there's only one other team that they have at the minute they can put against uh, Desperado and Kanemaru and I think uh, that's probably a match they want to save for Wrestle Kingdom so they thought let's just do the, the rematch again you know but like I said it's like the third straight time that Kanemaru and Desperado have beaten Hiroma and Bushi and like I, I guess to a point where like you're sick of it because again you, you're, you're in no doubt of what the outcome is going to be yeah, I mean, you can only put the same match over and over with the same outcome. And, you know, after how big Hiromu's like return and everything was, you don't want to diminish him. You know, this was the guy that, that pretty much retired Liger in Liger's last match, and that's, so you don't want to diminish him by having him constantly losing to the same tag team over and over. It just it, it feels very, very poor of them to do so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's all I can really say about that junior tag match. You know, it was good, but it just the ending did take it out for me. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll move on to the final match uh, 
I mentioned about the six-man title match, kind of setting this up, but like, it's not to take away from the six-man match. There was a lot of like uh, double-team offense, a lot of guys coming in, and they're running at the same time. Like One guy hits a move, and then the guy from the other team comes in. It was really fast-paced, but then you see that it was meant to set up this match. You know, a Yoshihashi and Goto challenging for the tag team titles. And again, another solid match, but this helped kind of carry us into a uh, power struggle with a uh, post-match. Yeah, it was... I mean, this uh, this was definitely the better of the two tag team title matches over the two nights. Um, the ZSG and Tai Chi are just... They're, they're probably been my favourite tag team in New Japan since Evil and Sonata. Their, their chemistry is brilliant. The character work is outstanding, and they just look dangerous. Like they do actually, like they do make their name real. They are a very deadly tag team to go up against. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I was surprised because, like, you expect maybe the the junior tag titles and the the six man belts to be featuring these smaller, like, Kirk and Hall shows. But it's rare that you see the the heavyweight tag titles defended. You know, I mean, last time we had. Uh, these titles defended in this kind of setting was on one of the New Japan Road shows when the Golden Lovers won the titles originally from from G.O.D. But it was a solid match. Yoshihashi and Goto looked impressive. But, you know, they, they did kind of fall. You know, Yoshihashi kind of got ahead of himself, you know, trying to go for more gold. And uh, unfortunately came back to bite them as Dangerous Tigers retained. And we had uh, Toriano joining the Japanese commentary. Who then got up and basically started removing all the all four corner pads and basically challenged that Joe Junior uh, for their match at Hurdle to be basically no corner pads. And I think that's a great time to talk about that match because that match was bloody brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to get I try to get as much as we could out of the uh, the road to Hurdle kind of main event because everything else in those cards seems to be like. The same kind of variations of matches, like teasing the matches you're already going to get at when we get to Power Struggle. So, like the main events were the ones we're talking about, but then again, like all three champions like retained, and like I think we all knew that going in. So, best to kind of just move on. Yeah, I mean, that's, it was they, they were good matches. Um, they were just kind of there. They were a means to an end to keep sort of mm-hmm. things moving along storyline wise, but. Yano v ZSG, King of Pro Wrestling, no turnbuckle pass match. I did not know what stipulation they were going to come out with. And it, it was actually brilliant. Yeah, because I was looking for, like, I think I watched the, the final night of Road 2, like a day or so after it happened. So I'd been looking on tour for a poll of, like, different stipulations we could choose from. And then basically ZSG just basically agreed to Yano's stipulation. So, like, there was, like, no need for it. Kind of like when Sho and Sonada both agreed to the uh, the submission match stipulation. Uh, and then Yano got whipped into the exposed turnbuckle at the end of Road to Power Struggle by ZSG. So when we got to Power Struggle, uh, Yano immediately regretted his decision. Like when Ron Burgundy jumped into the bear pit and Anchorman and basically just like, didn't want them to undo the, undo the turnbuckle pads and then at one point even tries to put them back on. Oh god, that was that was. It's the fact that he's like, it's so bloody intricate. How the hell do you put this thing back on? It's like, like, like there was even apparently there's like a video somewhere. I never got a chance to watch it, but they mentioned it in commentary where Yano showed that he can like remove the turnbuckle pads in like eighteen seconds. Because mm-hmm. it's absolutely hilarious statistic to get thrown into a match. 
yeah, like the thing with Yano is like I remember when recently that argument about AEW came up, like oh they promised us a a straight like a more mainly sports based promotion, and now they're doing comedy segments. But like New Japan is literal like tagline is king of sports, and yet they allow a character like Yano who's just hilarious to thrive. So like I think it's just characters like Yano who is so like you can't have a you can't just have a purely purely comedy promotion or a purely serious promotion. You need that variety. You need different like characters for different roles. Oh yeah, and I mean they made a great point on commentary where they asked Rocky, um, "Does Yano get overtime for his matches going over ten minutes?" <laughs> that yeah. was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, they had a live English commentary with Chris Charlton and Rocky Romero and Kevin Kelly for for a power struggle, which was nice. Uh, Chris Charlton, I think, had my favourite line. Given when they brought up the fact that obviously both men agreed to to the situation, so there was no need for a poll, and they joked, "Well, like, it's just as well we didn't have to put a poll. We'd probably still be getting the votes into twenty twenty one, which was obviously a reference to the recent election, which is uh, uh, a bit more highbrow than they expect from commentary, but it was a smart one from Chris Charlton. That was that was an absolute belter of line. I mean, the match itself was like you know, Yano did show some of his proper amateur wrestling. But also, Yano done a very much Yano finish. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was funny because like, it seems like he's so used to taking the turnbuckle pads off and then he struggled to put them back on. Like, he's never done it this way around before. And then he takes out that roll of tape. He's always got a roll of tape and basically just takes the tape and the, the turnbuckle pad back on. And then there was a funny moment, Zach Sabre Jr. showed his like, comedy timing where he gets whipped into the turnbuckle where the pads are back on. He doesn't notice it's back on. So there's a big moment where he's kind of sell and then realizing, like, that's softer than it should be. And then turns around, like, when did you put that turnbuckle pad back on? That was beautiful. And I mean, it was just, it was, it was a really incredible match. Like, Sabre gets to still do some of his technical stuff. Yano's shenanigans on full force and probably the best, like, reversal of a submission I have ever seen in my life. Like, let, let's, let's go for the shoelaces. I never saw that coming. Yeah, because like Yano is not a Yano is not a versatile matchman by counter, but like the fact that CSJ was so like focused on like putting that submission on Luke through the barricades, he doesn't even notice the like, are being tied. And I think it's like I think it might be Chris who's saying like, "What's they doing with Shuri?" And he's the one who puts his name. Yeah, that like, uh, I think Kim Kelly assumes that basically Yano's trying to take Zack Sabre Jr.'s like shoe off or something. It's like, what's he going to do? Like, take his shoe off? What's the point in that? What he's going to fight with one shoe? And I'm thinking, wait a minute, what would be the point in that? Uh, I, I, I was just like, this, this, this seems. I was like, wait, are they doing a Pete Dunne reference where we've seen Pete Dunne take like a fan shoe in the Indies and use it as a weapon? And now all of a sudden, Zach finally realizes too late. Tries to stand up, and he's like, with a barricade, he's like, oh shit, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> And then after the match, they kind of just like Yano buggers off, and Zach's just standing still there, like, like, are you just gonna leave me here? And like, I would have just loved it. I just left Zach Sabre Jr. just there the entire time, because like Suzuki was up next, so like the leader of the faction that Zach then just wanders by and sees Zach Sabre Jr. just sitting there. Like, I like that moment just to see what the look on Suzuki's face would have been. It's when they got the scissors, like they got them cut out, and then he started chasing young lines with the scissors. I was like, "Oh my god, this is incredible!" <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's just, they were like, 
it was a great way to kick off like Virtual because we mentioned well, there were only six matches, no like other matches were announced between like our last episode and this. So we had the six matches. I think it was a smart decision because, uh, like you said, uh, avoided kind of like any filler matches. Yeah, and I mean, like the, even the way they like they put the card, the order, it couldn't have been any better. Cause, I mean, we opened up with pure comedy, absolute gold. And then we move on to a match which couldn't be any more different. Yeah, well, uh, we'll get to that in a second. But I think what's interesting about Power Struggle is that a lot of like the champions that were defending, like, like Ayano and like with the Nevertail being the line and the, the double gold, I think it's a case of like some people might not like see the point in Power Struggle because like, it didn't seem like a lot of the champions were going to lose going into it. But it's a case of like this is the last chance they're probably going to have to defend the title. Uh, going into like 2021 before Wrestle Kingdom because like you got the two tournaments that are going to take a lot of time and if you're not in a tie team or a junior heavyweight you're probably going to have the month off kind of like how everyone else did during G1 and like because I think Yano like they say the title will be set so Yano's probably going to hold that trophy all the way to the end of the year Yeah I mean that's I know that they've got a couple of Road to Wrestle Kingdom shows planned um, which might shape in a couple more matches um, because at the moment, uh, Wrestle Kingdom card, you know, not go too much into it, but there's kind of three matches confirmed so far across the two days. But with this current pandemic situation, it is forcing them to cut the filler matches and just give us the meat, which is, I think, actually been really refreshing for them. Yeah, I do hope, like, going forward, that, yeah, I know White wins that, that trophy, like, multiple times. Like, I want him to be, like, the R-Truth. Do that, like if this is like the twenty four seven tail, he's like the the art truth of that title. But as the like, Monty Python used to say, and now for something completely different, as <laughs> Minoru Suzuki and Shingo Takagi have their rubber match, Shingo uh, also lost the never title to Suzuki at Summer Struggle in Jingu Stadium, and then got the win uh, at the finals of A Block and the G One, and Suzuki now is they're looking to settle this like in the rubber match. Suzuki's been targeting Shingo's knee during the road to power struggle and the multi man tag matches and like using kind of a, a young lion move as kind of a, a no like disrespect to Shingo and talk about how they're both fighters. But, you know, Shingo doesn't fight like to survive like like Minoru Suzuki does basically kinda of calling out uh, Shingo and saying like you're not really as tough as I am. Yeah, I mean, that's it. It was like proper, like, sort of like, you know, it's like you lost the belt to me in the first place. You know, you got lucky in the G1, uh, working the knee, you know, selling that was absolutely brilliant. It, it was out there three matches. It was probably, this is probably the most brutally violent. Um, I'm pretty sure Suzuki got rocked during that. There's a few bits I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's been kind of knocked for six. Because <laughs> uh, like, I think if you hadn't been following the road two shows, I think it was Chris Charlton that filled in like a lot of the storyline points that I mentioned just then. So like, just go to show his value as a commentator to help fill you in on like the storylines and the deeper things behind it. Just just simply just being for more than the never title match from being for more than just the never title. And like, I actually this is probably my least favourite of the of the three. I thought I think I enjoyed like their previous two a little bit better. Uh, there, were, there was a point where like Suzuki's kind of laughing in the corner after Shingo's kind of knocked them down, and Shingo's kind of looking like, "All right, then we'll yeah, laugh. Let's see how you like this and like start playing it more." 
And yeah, there was a point where Suzuki finally got like rocked, and like I think you may think I don't know if it was like he legit got like rocked, but I think it may be easy to think that because like Suzuki rarely ever looks like affected by like when other wrestlers like give him like the forearms or the chops because like he whenever they do exchanges he just looks like he's just encouraging them a bit more. And it's usually the opponent that will go down first, so it's very rare that Suzuki's the one to kind of falter. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'll, I'll not mention the finish just yet, but there was something after the match which kind of makes me think, was this a legit rocking? Um, just something that I kind of noticed, and it was kind of some people pointed out on Twitter, but, I mean, yeah, the... I'll, I'll be, I'm in agreement with you, it's probably my least favourite of their three matches. It, it felt like the most brutal, but at the same time, I think it was actually the shortest of the three as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if that being the shortest, if that is also like if it was actually legit planned to be that short, or if just something did happen during it. Maybe I, I don't know if actually anything's come out about that, so it kind of makes me doubt that it, if it was like a legit thing, or maybe this maybe just was the plan. Because I think when the issue happened with Kenta winning uh, the Never Title, and he got legit injured in that match, I think everybody could tell. But also, like the story, the reports came out about it afterwards. Uh, confirming it, whereas I don't think we've heard anything about Suzuki legit being hurt or anything, so I think I'll just assume that this was meant to happen because we know the history of the Never Title you know, not, it's never it's very rare for somebody to hold on to it for a long time, but you know Shingo kind of fought back from like the repeated use of like the Boston Crab on on Shingo, and like with Clark Corners using that a lot on New Japan Strong and Suzuki using this feed and also the Young Lions use it a lot New Japan's going a long way to make a simple move like the Boston Grab, like a move like to kind of like be believable again. And think, oh, that's that. That's my person done. They're caught. They're caught in the Boston Crab. <laughs> yeah, I mean they made they made it look legit. Um, like Suzuki does make even a basic wrestling move look that extra bit more painful. The way he extends the leg and the knee and puts the pressure on the back, it does look properly painful. And when you're selling it with it, like Shingo's pre-existing, his knees being worked over on the way to this, you can believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's very similar to like when Desperado uh, had his title shot against Shingo, he tried to work over a body part as well, and like it's one of the few ways to kind of like like weaken Shingo to get slow him down, like to target a body part and try and take away some of his offense. Uh, or if we, because if you don't, like we've seen at the end, like if you get him going then like there's no way to beat him where he manages to take out Suzuki with the pumping bomber and eventually hits the last of the dragon and Shingo is now a two time never open weight champion. Yeah, and now that now that he's got the, the the dragon has regained his gold, I wonder where this is going to lead for Wrestle Kingdom because it's there's going to be a match in there somewhere for him. Um where it'll come from, my money is on it's going to happen somewhere during World Tag League is where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think they they mentioned that I think Shingo is one of the only people competing in World Tag League who is currently a champion, other than also the current tag chance, but it was a given that they'd be in there. But like Chris Charlton and that says that the outcomes of some of these matches, a lot of these matches at Perfurgo were going to determine who did and didn't get into the World Tag League, which is why like it was with the it was with quite late the announcement of uh, the participants in World Tag League when uh, this is the Virginia's feels like they were announced like ages ago because uh, like we were recording this before the uh, 
the start of the tournament, but you're hearing this on Sunday when uh, the tournaments kick off. Uh, so first, only a couple of days ago, where the World Tag League in, competitors announced, and I kept saying, you know, like, I was worried, I was starting to get worried that they wouldn't announce who was in the tournament until, like, like, very last minute, and, like, we would have to record things, well, we still don't know who's in the tournament. I know, they, they, they left it closer than what I would have liked, but, you know... I'm sure they had the reasons for it. They might have been waiting for some things in the background to be decided. Uh, I'm just glad they done it like as quickly in the week after it, rather than it being like mid to late week. Uh, but talking about Shingo at the moment, are you are you happy to see him as champion? Do you think he ever, he ever should have lost it in the first place? I honestly don't think he should have dropped it to begin with. But overall, the story that this could be used to tell long term. Um, and the fact that I do see Shingo is very similar to Suzuki in many ways. And Suzuki will have to retire eventually. He's, he's in his 50s now and he can only keep going like this for so long. It's a good way to kind of build up, build up someone to take over that brutal, violent, strong style legacy. Um, Shingo to me is a solid contender. And I even theorise that um, the person who will be his challenger at Wrestle Kingdom I think was involved in the match that came after this on the Power Struggle card. That's a, a bold prediction. But yeah, I think like the, the fact that they added the, like, a lot more story to, uh, to this match going into it than they did the previous two encounters shows that maybe this was kind of whole, this whole thing was kind of devised to have a story to help further get Shingo over in the eyes of like the fans. They were having him lose in a hard fought match to Suzuki. Ernie's title shot at the end of G1 and then obviously fight from all this like, disrespect from like the veteran in order to get his belt back a belt that like, he's helped elevate and let's hope he holds on to it for get is another like long reign with that belt like again as I said I'd like to see him again maybe someone like a Jeff Cobb someone of, of that same like a bigger guy like who could like dish out like a hard strikes and you know, that strong style you know one of the few other people that I think beat as beat the never champion and the G1 was also Taiji, but you know, he's not going to be after the title, so it's hard to really predict at this stage who's going to challenge for the never title at Risk Kingdom. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to predict, and that's where um, I'll throw my prediction out, and I think it's going to be Okan. That's who I think it's going to be. Unfortunately, he could challenge, but I don't know if he'll win it because, like, People back from excursion don't tell you when titles really something is ever like a bit of a speed bump. Similar to like G White lost to Tanahashi for the IC title only to then a month and a bit later when the US built from G White. So we'll see what happens there. But speaking of Okan, it's a first like singles match since returning from excursion. Uh, and it's like you get you don't get as big as this when you have him taking on Kazuchika Okada in a special singles match with uh, Will Ospreay dressed as like a Bond villain sitting in the thing by the barricade with his with his champagne and his glasses while you know he's like his henchman, you know, the you know, like Mr. Hinks, the character Batista played in the recent Bond film, basically does his dirty work for him as he's just sitting there with his, with his wee glasses looking all smug. I mean, that's how he came out, um, Osprey looking like uh, an evil accountant. Um, Going on about his several thousand pound suit and several thousand pound bottle of champagne, and I'm not gonna lie, his heel work was brilliant because I looked at him and I just went, "You are a dick." 
<laughs> you know, you know, when you saw about all this amount of money and he said about how much he paid for his watch, like that mainly annoyed me because I hate people who go on about how expensive their watch was because, like, the amount of money that some people charge for watches, like, it's not, people don't buy them for that amount of money so they can, like, get a better reading of what time it is. They only buy watches for that amount of money so they can tell you, like, Wall Street did. Do you know how much I paid for this watch? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, like, his heel work on the outside was probably, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to lie, I felt it overshadowed the match. Um, I'm not sure about you, but on this whole card, this probably felt like the weakest match to me. Um, yeah. I wouldn't go as far as to call it filler because it had a purpose, uh, and most of that purpose happened in the like, post-match, but it had, like, you had to uh, greet Okada and dominate Okada for most of the match uh, to kind of help get him over. It's just kind of heavy for uh, this new faction, the Empire. But it felt like Okada did a very, like, John Cena-esque comeback of basically getting dominated for like 80% of the match but you know he locks in the money clip and like beats Okan but they did it by referee stoppage to try and keep in some of his credibility but also the fact that you know he lost to Okada so you know there's no shame in that but yeah I think a lot of people got coming out of it we're talking more about what happened between Osprey and Okada afterwards yeah, I mean, I, I kind of had that fear when I looked at it. I was like, oh, Khan's first big match back is against the company's golden boy. There is no way you're going to have Okan win that match when everyone's wanting Okada against Osprey at Wrestle Kingdom. So, you know, it, it kind of felt like an unwinnable match for Okan. And it's great to show him dominating that, but then to have him just on the plus side, what I will give the, the, with the money clip, it wasn't a tap out, it wasn't a verbal submission. It was a ref stoppage. So that's where Okan mm-hmm. does get to look decent there. It doesn't impact because he didn't tap, he didn't. And, you know, AEW's been big on doing that lately. People didn't tap. Eddie Kingston, he didn't tap. That was a brilliant one. Um, but, yeah, it's... It was. I, I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've, honestly, I'm still waiting for Okada to kind of go back up a gear. I feel like he's coasting a little bit at the moment. And I want to see a sense of urgency come back. Like when, when Osprey did turn on him, and they, they kind of the fire lit in them. It was brilliant, but it kind of feels for that match against Okan, he kind of went back down a step rather than stepping it up. Ah, uh, like, I'll, I'll go for it to like Kevin Kelly and uh, Chris Charlton. They did their best to like make you think, even for a second, that uh, Okan could actually win this match. Because like, they tried to compare him, like, because they were in Osaka, they tried to compare it to like when uh, Okada came to Osaka. Like a month or so after returning from excursion and winning the, the IWGP title for the first time, and now he's in the veteran role, the role that Tanahashi was in. I would really try and make you think, like, you know, upsets like this, they've happened before, could happen again. But uh, I think basically Okan, this situation uh, basically used as like somebody Okada had to go through to get to Osprey, and then we had Osprey after that saying how uh, I just used you, Okada. So now everybody knows who Will Osprey is. And then he made the challenge to Okada. He said, I want to end your career. He didn't just say what wanted to face him. He specified he wanted to end Okada's career. And he challenged them to a match at Wrestle Kingdom 15. Uh, whether or not that'll be on night one or two, we don't know. But I think we know now after like our main event that that won't be uh, a main event of either night, which I was worried about. But I'm thankful that's not going to be the case. And I think 
maybe they sacrificed Okan for this first match so that Osprey could then go on and beat Okada. So I don't think they want to have Okada be beaten twice in singles matches by members of this new like faction. I mean, that's what I mean. Um, we can actually, I can actually say them. They did do a little conference, and we do know what night that match is going to go down. And it is a night one match. It is a night one match between Okada and Osprey. All right. It's one of the only matches they've confirmed so far. They they decided to hold off on most of the card at the moment. They were originally going, but apparently they've made a few changes to the plans. And uh, I think we'll have like we'll already we'll know a few more once we get to the end of our two tournaments. You know, we'll know who's the challenger for the junior heavyweight championship and who challenges for the heavyweight titles. And obviously, that's to be done. Will hopefully tell us who gets the shot at the uh, at the, the junior tie belts as well. But uh, I'm very interested to see what other what else the uh, new Japan has in, in store for us. I think a bit doing smart because he even said that press conference like they're happy, like they've had no. Uh, they haven't really had any reports of cases since they started like, following the rules and having fans at a certain capacity, which I think is optimistic for maybe getting uh, increasing the amount of people they can allow into buildings uh, going forward in 2021. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the stats, because I've actually still got it up in front of me, and it's um, since the 11th of July, there's been 54 live events in front of a combined crowd of 72,706 people. And not one single case has came up out of that. That is, if anyone from anywhere else in the world wants to learn how to do these shows and do them safe, there you go. That's your benchmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because you like these people are, are better at following the rules. Because like they mentioned, in the past they had wrestlers who had a slightly elevated temperature, no other real symptoms, but they isolated for a couple of shows, and then it turns out they were okay, and then they came back. But they, in fact, they took that like precaution. It shows that New Japan has been like on the ball so far when it comes to handling COVID. I think that's why we'll see full capacity shows probably is probably first going to happen in Japan than anywhere else. Either they rush it in America, uh, they'll probably lead to a bigger outbreak. Whereas they're more less likely to return. They're more likely to return to normality in Japan than anywhere else. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the Wrestle Kingdom capacity and that, and it'll be one to keep an eye on going forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of like the first half of the card for Power Struggle did feel pretty strong, um, despite the fact, you know, even one of those matches was a rematch and the other one, while not being the best, was still pretty entertaining. Um, I feel that the second half of the card was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, you started off with a great like, comedy match. Uh, you had that match. Yeah, they know being good as their peers and cares, but like, I wasn't expecting Shinko to win the belt back, so at least it ended with a shot for me. And yeah, I was slightly underwhelmed by the Okada match, but then it picked up. We had Kenta defending his, his US uh, right to challenge briefcase against Tanahashi. As we, we said before, I'm shocked that uh, Tanahashi was the person that coming out that you wanted to challenge him. Like, I would have thought, even though, because I know he did beat Kenta, but like, I thought coming out of it, we would have had, like, uh, just Robinson or something like that. But we're going with the whole story of, like, Kenta broke the briefcase over Okada's head. And, like, that thing is, like, falling apart because it gets you, the, the good side gets used. And, like, it doesn't even look like it's been used that hard. Uh, and you can already see, like, the next shot of it 
you see a bit of a, a dent, a crack starting to form. And I'm like, how cheaply did New Japan have this briefcase made? Oh, I know. It's, it's the fact that Ken had used that to further the feud. It's like, you, you, you owe me a new briefcase. You've done this. It's your bloody head that's done this. Give me a new bloody briefcase. Tanner's like, I'm not going to give you a new one. I'm just going to take it. I'm going to make it mine. And, and then it was like, a solid, solid fun. Yeah, and then like you had a bit of fun in the middle, right? Where Kenta like has the briefcase and he gets caught with it, and like he's in a bit of a tug of war with uh, with Tanahashi, and the referee gets tries to get in the middle, and then Kenta ends up getting hit with his own briefcase, and then Tanahashi and the ref are both blaming each other for what happened. Like that was you, no, it wasn't. That was you. I know. I loved that. I was like, that's a brilliant law. It's like Tanahashi was like, no, 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 that wasn't me. I played by the rules. I'm a good guy. That was your bloody fault. <laughs> and you think Kenta, Kenta did retain the briefcase, but you see him after them, that's kind of given out to the referee about, like, pointing to his head and giving out about what happened earlier on. But what I do like about this match is it didn't follow the kind of format that a lot of Tanahashi's matches have, ha- have followed since uh, New Japan came back and run shows, is that it wasn't a case of, like, Kenta relentlessly going after Tanahashi's, like, legs, which have been a main target of his. So it was a nice, like, change of pace from all the stuff that uh, Tanahashi's been doing since he came back, although I was not expecting the match to end the way it did because I thought Kent was going to win. But Kent, not only did he win with the, the game over, it's starting to get the variation of like, the cross face, but he, he forced Tanahashi to verbally submit, which I think was a big shock for a lot of people given how, like, given that this is like Tanahashi, the ace, or the former ace of New Japan, uh, verbally submitting to the guy who used to be like the guy and like one of the main rivals. Yeah, I mean, that's like putting over the submission by a verbal submission by the guy who never, ever really gives up. Like, Tana has to be pretty much forced to stop by refs or what he's that sort of like never give up attitude. They'll go through hell and back. And yet, it was it definitely, it didn't feel like a standard Tanahashi match. And that to me elevated it above previous encounters that they've had. I, I, would, I would quite happily watch these two go at it again um, over a title in the future. Happily. Mm hmm. Yeah, uh, I really like to see these, these two fight again. And like we know now that means Kent is going to face David Finlay at Showdown for the briefcase. I don't know if he'll get another briefcase uh, match in there before Wrestle Kingdom. Like, again, like we still don't know if they're going to find a way to get Moxley back for Wrestle Kingdom so he can actually have his title shot. If not, then I'd like to see Kent on the Wrestle Kingdom card maybe in another briefcase match this time against Juice Robinson. Because uh, I don't see Finn just going to win the World Tag League. So I think if uh, just Robinson Kenta match over that briefcase would be a good addition to either Night of Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I definitely think that if they can't get Mox over and they're not willing to strip him of the title, then they have another briefcase match. Otherwise, they do it like a, almost like a whoever wins this, like, if, like you know, either have it for like a, a, US, a US title match because they've made Mox drop it or. Yeah, another briefcase match, but just these Kenta on the big stage at Wrestle Kingdom if they can't get Moxley. Definitely a good idea, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, I'd agree. The uh, thing about the game over is also that like they really like put over the danger of it when uh, Kenta said, I'm going to make you tap out to go to the G1, and he did. And then that submission caused like go to go through the entire G1 with an injured shoulder, and then he just beat Tanahashi with it. I think the difference between like this and a money clip, which they've also tried to get over, is I think a lot more people are more likely to buy the game over as a dangerous mission than uh, the money clip. 
yeah, game over actually looks legitimately painful to be put into. And uh, it's certainly a name so far, given that like the idea, like as soon as he locks it in, as game over, like you need to just tap out, otherwise you're just gonna be in a world of pain. Aye, definitely, you could definitely see it. Like, every time he's put it in, it looks painful, agony. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that match went the way everybody kind of thought it would. I don't think anybody could have foreseen this next match going the way it did. We had GYE challenging Kota Ibushi for Kota Ibushi's uh, G1 opportunities. His title shot at both the Heavyweight and Intercontinental Championships. And, well, they mentioned before that 16 times before this, the G1 opportunity had been defended that, that briefcase. 16 times the briefcase winner retained the title. But... Uh, Jay White is the one in 16 and 1 as with a backslide using his foot, put his foot on the ropes, which the referee didn't see. Jay White beat Kota Ibushi in his security spot at Wrestle Kingdom. And I'd be, I am happy about this, but I'm also annoyed because I have all six matches on this card. This one, I got spoiled for me. <laughs> I mean, this match was like how to put nuclear heat on someone because I've seen people getting absolutely enraged on Twitter saying, you know, this cheapens the whole thing because he went through the whole G1 and it now feels like like um, Ibushi like, winning the G1 was for nothing because he lost it. And um, I'm not sure if you've heard about the, uh, the confirmed main event for Wrestle Kingdom Night 1, which kind of ties into all this. Yeah, I was going to wait until like, after the uh, the main event of Power Struggle to talk about it. That's it. I'll not say who's involved in it. Um, but yeah, there is some some absolute upsets um, from people. I uh, think it's saying, you know, what's the whole point? And I'm like, well, they always have the G1 contract put on the line after the G1. It was going to happen at some point. You know, mm-hmm. of course they're going to pull the trigger when it's going to develop absolute nuclear level heat. You're not going to do it on someone who is kind of like, eh, you want to make it as upsetting, you want to. And the fact that it was done by blatant cheating, that was incredible. Yeah, like, yeah, you got to think it had to happen at some point, otherwise people would like stop buying into the stakes of like G1 briefcase like matches. Like, it's very similar to like how it's very rare for somebody to lose the IWGP title between the G1 and Wrestle Kingdom, but like, you know what's going to happen once or twice at least, so people can still buy into the stakes of the match. And like, as the commentators like said, like, oh, if it was ever going to happen, it would be in 2020. And like, getting over kind of how shit 2020 has been, and like, get how defeated like Kevin Kelly and Rocky Romero were after Jay White won. Like, God, 2020 strikes again. They said no, it, was, it was definitely sort of like probably the one that people did not see coming. It was the biggest. Although I, I love that Ibushi, it did unlock Murder Ibushi. Everyone loves a little bit of Murder Ibushi. Mm-hmm. Right. I, will, I did all say about the match, it was good that uh, the Gato the, uh, shenanigans weren't like as overplayed as you'd expect. You know, I think they saved that for Dick Togo later on in the main event. But uh, yeah, Jay White very dominant. He went after kind of the midsection of Kota Ibushi for a lot of the match. I kept coming back to like countering the Kamigoyen you know, with the like, shoulder tackle into the midsection, you know, he had a, like, firm target, like, every now and then Rocky would, uh, even though he didn't want to, uh, to compliment 
the strategy of Jay White, which you know had to kill him. And like, yeah, the reaction of Kota Ibushi after the match, like just that look of kind of loss, look of like he's he struggling for him to set in that he's, he's lost. He went back to back, but this time he might not go to Wrestle Kingdom. And like, it was the look on his face. And despite the fact he beat Jay White in the finals of 2019, G1, it's starting to look like, you know, Jay White might have actually a Bushy's number. Did he beat him night two of Wrestle Kingdom 14? Beat him in the G1, which is how he got this opportunity. And then he beat him here. So, like, Jay White, again, three straight times in a big match, has beaten Kota Ibushi. And it does suit the Jay White character. Like, especially if anyone was going to win that briefcase, a sniveling, like, underhanded heel like him was going to be the one. You know, he's one of the few people who beat Ibushi. He pitches him on, like, no, it should have been me. It should have been me. Gets his opportunity. And then basically lies and cheats his way, basically robbing the, the fan favourite out of his opportunity. Aye, you know, you can you can you couldn't see it coming, it was just unreal. But if there was anyone to do it, yeah, it had to be an absolute bastard like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what was also interesting is the last three matches of the show featured members of Bullet Club and then you had Kenta and Jay winning. So then that kinda of made you think like Bullet Club are now two for two, can they go three for three as they had evil challenging Tetsuya Naito for the double gold, you know, talking about rematches. Uh, I still think their Jingo Stadium match was probably better, but this match, you know, you had Dick Togo and it's like kind of getting involved. You had uh, poor Reg just kept getting taken out, but uh, I don't think the result of this one was ever in doubt. Like, you had to think Naito's going all the way to Wrestle Kingdom with those two belts. Yeah, I mean, this was the match that no one asked for. This... <laughs> No, no one asked for Evil V's Naito a bloody game, but there we go, we got it. And it was to me, it, it was the weaker, like the Jingo Stadium one was better. But um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I didn't feel that the result was ever in doubt. Um, I did like there was a couple of additions that had happened, like um, the whole Jay making his appearance during the match that I didn't see coming. Oh yeah, like. It was, a, it was a decent like match. You can't really fault it, but again, like, we didn't ask for it. Like Only three people beat Naito through the entire G1. You had Kenta, who also had his own issues. Evil, who also was a former champion. I think he had Sanada, but I think Sanada didn't really have anything to do on this card. Uh, he will be in World Tag League, and all people thought he would win the G1, but he didn't. Uh, so it's weird, like, I think it just seemed like, well, out of these few people, the only person we can give the title shot to is Evil, because he's the former champion, he's always saying, whereas I think, I don't think they wanted to give Sanada another, like, big uh, opportunity, and then have him lose, so soon after he came up short in the G1. Yeah, definitely, and I, I think the clever thing they can do at this, in my opinion, if they're wanting to do something solid out of it, is um, have Evil blame Sanada as part of the reason how this match went and have Evil and Sanada as a, a special singles match at Wrestle Kingdom to me it would make sense Looking mm-hmm. uh, at this match you know you had uh, Evil using the Texas Cloverly kind of as a submission move working over Naito who's obviously a lot of the time has his knees kind of wrapped up you had Naito hit like Destino but then he goes for a second one similar and similar to how he's beaten before but uh, Evil managed to counter the second one. Uh, 
So he managed to like stay in the fight. He had like the referee getting taken out as I mentioned before. I'm trying not to immediately dismiss this match despite the fact, as you said, like we're all the kind of attitude we had for this like uh, another evil Naito match. But like we had the shenanigans, which really made it interesting. We had like uh, Togo and Yujiro uh, getting involved, and then Sonata and I must say a glorious white suit. You know, like something out of the I Want It That Way video comes out. They chase off like the heels, and then. Uh, Jerry White comes out, and then there's a point where like he kind of teases like, that he's gonna attack Evil, and then he kind of just like, like he even has them like in the Blade Runner uh, position, and then Cash plays something like ah, like you see, and then he picks up uh, Naito to kind of put him away, so they can like secure like an all bullet club Wrestle Kingdom main event, and then Abushi comes out to kind of chase him off. Aye. And Ibushi coming out, like, clearly Ibushi has realised, wait a minute, I got cheated, I never saw the replay, he's now seen it and he's like, you are mm-hmm. a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, they kept trying to say, like, the ref, like, Uosuji and Gabriel Kidd, as soon as, like, the, the bookcase match ended, immediately went up to the ref, like, we're holding the ropes, like, like he, to get, like, look, he had the ropes, had the ropes, but, like, it was like, he's like, you thought for a second they might restart it, but then it's like, well, oh, referee's already rendered the decision, he didn't see it. And like the referee's decision is final. Uh, yeah, then we see the replays chasing him off, and eventually Nigel manages to a second death, you know, and puts away evil. Uh, he manages to, he managed to overcome evil's main tactic, which is a hoof to the boss. Uh, but he manages to hold out with the, the double gold, but then out comes J.Y. immediately again. He manages to briefly have outrun Kota Ibushi, clearly. Uh, he says, like, just like based talks about how there are destined to be to face each other at Wrestle Kingdom and he said like you can do whatever you want on night one Naito but I'm taking night one off and I'm going to be waiting for you to take that double goal night two January 5th and he keep like uh, condescending Naito who he knows would not have January 5 5 uh, and then out comes Ibushi again with his thunder face on and like Jay White's trying to like so I'm like, what are you doing out here? This isn't about you. Like, you have nothing. I have the briefcase. He has the double gold. You have nothing. Um, Abushi just doesn't stop. So eventually, like, G.O.I. just runs away again as Naito just kind of casually sitting in the middle of the ring. Just like, what is going on? I know, Naito's just, like, quite tr- tranquil about it all. Just, like, sitting there like, I, I didn't choose for any of this. You just do what you want. Like, I'm, I'll, I'll just fight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he does his like, typical send off, but yeah, the announcement at the Wrestle Kingdom press conference is basically Naito says like he wants to fight on both nights of Wrestle Kingdom, and he's basically sent out a like I want to face Kota Ibushi anyway, so we're now going to get Kota Ibushi challenging Naito for the double gold on night one of Wrestle Kingdom, and basically whoever wins that match will meet Jay White on night two. And that, to me, is where the storytelling is going to be genius because people complaining that it feels like everyone's been cheating because Ibushi still gets the title shot anyway. Well, Naito said he wants to be a fighting champion. <laughs> Ibushi, Ibushi take the titles in night one. Night two puts Jay White away, beats his demons and becomes the god that he says he wants to be. Yeah, in terms of, like, Naito obviously probably was happy to see Ibushi win the, the G1 they have their history together, but then also feels like he like feels he doesn't like to see him get cheated. So he's like, oh, I want to be a fighting champion. Obviously, like you're a, you had the G1 briefcase anyway, so 
let's, let's have a match on night one. Because, like, Nigel's been wanting to defend like, both belts separately. He hasn't got a chance to. He's always been defending them together. Which I think is going to be a major, like, flaw when we look back on this title reign. They never got to do, like, the thing he set out to do. Like, he never got to defend both titles separately on the same tour. Uh, he, part of that is because of the pandemic and everything. But, like, even when he's doing this on night on Wrestle Kingdom, I really thought he should have, like, done a thing where like, he defended the IC belt on night one and the heavyweight on night two. Uh, but you know, now he's defending both titles on night one, and if he gets past the Bushy, both titles on night two. There's so many ways they can go about that, and you know, it's it's a booking nightmare because you want everyone to kind of come out looking good, but someone's going to have to pay the price at the end of all this, uh, and it's who and it's who is going to pay that price. It's interesting because, like, you guys, we talked before about how they're ever going to separate the two belts, and like. Well, you're hardly going to be able. You're never really going to be able to separate the belts if you never defend them individually and always defend them together. I think for some people, might their issue might be the fact that basically the the main event of both nights of wrestling this year is going to be basically three out of the four men from the double gold dash. It's basically the same four guys, with the exception of uh, Okada, uh, where it's basically Jay White waiting to see who wins between Naito and Ibushi, when when before it was Okada and Ibushi, which is the winner of Jay White and Naito, and then the two losers for each other. But you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It'll be interesting to see what happens to whoever loses uh, on night one. You know, I think we can like, I think we'll wait to give an actual prediction until near the time. But I want to see what happens. Actually, all three guys, not just the person who walked out of the goal, but I want to see what happens to the two like losers of the whole situation. Yeah, they're going to give themselves a really, a really big challenge. But if anyone can get around the booking challenge, it is Gedo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting to see you know, what happens. You know, so that's three matches we got confirmed for Wrestle Kingdom. That like you got the both the two main events, and you also got Okada versus Will Ospreay in a special singles match. And the last little part of this show, we're going to talk about finally. The uh, the two tournaments that we're going to be talking a lot about next month, uh, they're going to be basically dominating the New Japan program, and we're going to have the best of Super Juniors and the World Tag League happening at the same time. And uh, we'll go through the participants for best of Super Juniors first. Uh, we have also the Junior Heavyweight Champion Taiji Shimori, uh, we have Hiromu Takahashi, Bushi, Taguchi, Doki, Kanamaru, El Desperado, Master Watto. Show and Robbie Eagles, who I'll be honest with you, I almost forgot existed. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, I mean, it's actually a pretty solid lineup. Um, Eagles being there was yeah, uh, yeah, I'd kind of forgotten about him because he's he's just not been around for so bloody long. Um, but I mean, it's a fairly solid. You know, all of these guys have had fairly fairly good years. Um, Watto's being sort of like probably the the interesting one since it's. Well, he's only just back from excursion after after the pandemic, so he's kind of your your wild card in this whole situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Kim Taguchi might come out of this as the number one contender for the junior tie belts. Uh, and what's interesting is that we can set that up from night one because uh, on night one, one of the matches announced is Wato versus Kanemaru, basically a rematch of uh, Summer Struggle. So uh, 
it'll be interesting to see the issues renewed between those two. Yeah, and you also get El Desperado and Taguchi together, and that means that Taguchi is going to receive something, some sort of foreign object shoved into his ass, as always happens against El Desperado. <laughs> yeah, uh, what's interesting is like, they went through the lineup of uh, of matches uh, for the uh, best of Super Junior uh, during like the halfway point of Power Struggle, and the common theme is like the top two matches for the majority of nights, especially at the main event, seems to feature either Ishimori or Hiromu. Yeah, I think that basically screams that they're the two kind of uh, the two kind of favourites for this uh, tournament, and uh, they will be facing each other on night one of the, the tournament. But I think I'm not dismissing the rest of the lineup, but given obviously it's one block, and obviously Hiromu and Bushi were kind of rushing into that junior tie title match that they lost. I think this lineup further like further has me thinking that yeah, uh, it's going to be like Hiromu that that wins the whole thing. Yeah, definitely, and I mean, um, it's a quick scan of sort of the whole cards that, and I think the night that kind of interests me the most is night three for the best of Super Juniors because it is like interfaction warfare night, and um, you have Kanemaru and Desperado against each other, Hiromu and Bushi, and Robbie Eagles against Show. So you have Chaos and Chaos, Lig vs Lig, and Suzuki Gun vs Suzuki Gun. That's going to be a fun night. That. You got kind of a lot of opportunities for Suzuki-gun Suzuki-gun matches because you got three members of Suzuki-gun in there. You got Doki, Desperado, and Karamaru. So at least three times we'll see members of that faction uh, going up against each other. And uh, I think the fact that both tournaments are both only like one block, they decided that basically the last night will be on the sixth of December. Basically after that, they'll see who's got the two most, who, what two members of the the blocks have got the most points, and those two will then go on to. Uh, go on a December 11th show to then meet in the finals. Uh, so it's not a case of like two block uh, finalists fighting each other. It's basically racking up points and who, who's got the same number of points. And I think the case with both tournaments is that I don't see the heavyweight tag champs or the junior heavyweight champ being in the final. I think you'll have like, especially for the Super Juniors, I think you'll have Hiromu gaining the most points. And then, like the last night, whoever Ishimori's facing, like, say it's like Taguchi or Sho, uh, they'll get like a surprise win over the junior heavyweight champ to secure their path to the final. Because I don't think you want the winner of the tournament and the champion in the finals together, because basically, you're basically giving away the match that the winner is fighting for at Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, it's definitely, because to me, it's a case of the only way they could really get around that is if the winner of the whole tournament turns out to be the champion which would be mm-hmm. pretty unheard of but very interesting if they were bold enough to go down that route yeah it'd be very interesting like that would only really work if they were to bring somebody in who wasn't in the tournament to challenge them like say if Ishimori did win and then like the very next night in the US uh, El, El Fantasma wins Super Jacob then basically you could have uh, them say like well clearly we're the two best Super, uh, junior heavyweights in the world why don't we face each other exactly that, that could be a very interesting one it's, it's one that I wouldn't complain about um, it's a match that I think would be absolutely fantastic so it's it's something that I'm still kind of too early in being able to determine because everyone's not had exactly a big run there's not been a lot of juniors matches leading up to this so I'm still undecided as to who I'm kind of favouring on it but I think you're right. I don't see the champ being in the final. 
Yeah, I think it'd be uh, very un- unlikely again. You'd basically you're really giving away potentially the Wrestle Kingdom match in the final. So, what the hell would be the point in that? Uh, we'll move on to World Tag League. No good brothers, uh, a part of the lineup, unfortunately. But we do have the champions, Dangerous Deckers. We have God. We have a uh, Yano, a uh, Toriyano team up with Tomiyo Ishii. We have Goto and Yoshihashi. We have Tanahashi team up with a uh, Toa Hanari. Uh, we have Finjus, we have Shinko Dekage and Sanada, we have Bad, Fl- Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens, we have Evil teaming up with Yuji Takahashi, and most interestingly we have a Great Okan teaming up against a mis- teaming up with a mystery partner. Yeah, mystery partner, and I am still scratching my head over who it is going to be. I think the rumours that it's called would not surprise me, um, in which case you have got a lethal powerhouse combination so I'm thinking it's also like, yeah, this means a new member of the, the Empire is going to be announced but part of me is like you need somebody in there who makes a great partner for Okan but like I don't think these two are going to win the tournament so that would be then heel team v heel team uh, against dangerous takers so I think you need somebody who coming in looks good with Okan but doesn't look bad taking a loss and I think you might hinder uh, Jeff Cobb, if you bring him in as a mystery partner, and then they, these two don't go on to win the whole thing. Yeah, I mean that's the danger. Someone like Cobb it could be a good a good match, but then you'd have to put their expectations that they're going to go far or win it, and that's a that's a big ask when Okan's just in the back of a big loss to Okada. I mean, looking at the teams, some of these teams have kind of teamed up before, so there is some credibility to some of them. Um, and some of them, I'll, I'll be honest, there's one team to me that I see as a kind of throwaway team, and that is Fally and Chase. I just think they're kind of there to pad up the numbers. Yeah, they, they've been kind of a consistent team for the last couple of years, but they've always like, finished towards the bottom. So I don't see much there. You know, Evil and Yujiro, I thought Evil would have maybe teamed with Togo, because, you know, Togo could kind of, like, take the losses, but I guess kind of, that's kind of Yujiro's role as well. Uh, the only team that's actually won the, the tournament before, even though you've got former tie champs and people who have won uh, the World Tag League before, but they're not a team with the person they won it with. They won it with different partners. The only actual team that's a uh, former winner is Arfinjus, as they come in as like the defending uh, tournament winners. You know, you've got Evil and Sonata who've won it before, but they're in separate teams. You've got Goto who's won it with different partners, coming in with Yoshihashi, but you know, you've got the only. I think that helps like raise up Finjus to start coming in as like defending champs and the only team out of all this that's actually won it before. Yeah, I mean that's that's thing. It's um, like God are probably the most prestigious champs in the tournament, like history wise. But they've never actually won World Tag League, which is quite 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 a thing when you think about it. Which to me kind of puts them as a good potential winner for the whole thing. Yeah, because like. I think the whole point of like last year when we talked about last year's uh, World Tag League is like it's like we need somebody to get the belts off of God. They kind of felt like they've been dominating the the scene for a bit too long. So like you need these like you didn't want them to win it. But now that they're not the champs, I wouldn't mind seeing them uh, win the tournament. Uh, Hanari making his return to Team with Tanahashi was a bit random because like Yotsuji, the uh, young line, uh, on the out- is always on the outside kind of cheering Tanahashi on during matches. And like there was even rumours, like they even acknowledged on commentary, the potential of Suji teaming with Tanahashi. 
you know, like, I know again that would be kind of almost considered a throwaway team, but it's a case of like, you know, this is a young line. Yeah, he's probably going to take the losses for his team, but he's getting the team with like the former ace, former multiple time, uh, like world champion, like kind of a great learning experience for him. And then this round is oh, by the way, Hanari's back. I know you. I, I actually forgot about him. So seeing him back, you know, I, I do like Canari. He's actually quite fun to watch. Um, but do I see that team sort of getting a lot of wins? Uh, I'll be honest, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither. Uh, yeah, I know in ECE, you know, they've won the titles before. You know, they never won the tournament, but they, they managed to get themselves in there anyway. So, you know, you never know what they're capable of. You know, I think my Dark Horse team actually might be Shingo and Sonata. But I, I think that could be in a, a hell of a team. Like, even if you had, like, Shingo maybe to defend the never built on night two, and they get their title shot for the tie belts on night one, kind of like how uh, Juice got a fight for the tie titles one night of Rest Kingdom, and then fought Moxley for the US belt the following night. Because, like, Sonada needs a belt right now. I think him and Shingo could be a surefire, like, winners for this, potentially. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, to me, that is. They're they're personally they're my they're my favourite pick for the the tournament, but that's because I'm an Lij boy, through and through. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a team, like Takagi has got similar things to Evil, but I think the fact that Shingo is even faster and probably slightly more powerful than Evil, that could make a very good combination with Sanada, and I'm expecting big things out of them. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for like a big performance from uh, from those two. You know, you got. I think uh, like Shingo's no stranger holding double gold. You know, he's, he was never six man and never heavyweight champion at the same time. So you know, even if he like loses the never belt the following night, like the opportunity to see him as a double champion and also getting to see Sonata with gold uh, at all because it's been a while since he's held gold as as Sonata. And like you need some at least one member of LIG holding double gold in case things don't work out for for Naito in the main event. That's it. You know, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of ways that they can they can use this to set up things for Road to Wrestle Kingdom and Wrestle Kingdom itself. And I think looking at the teams because of the way it's set up, there isn't other than one or two teams who I kind of immediately discount. I do feel that there's kind of a good selection of teams that could be deemed as viable winners for the whole thing. I think if like uh, if like single uh, and Sonata win. You can set up a challenger like for Shingo and they're about on one of the road two shows. Like if say like you have like I, I think someone like an evil or even like Goto, you know, who he uh, who Shingo won his first never title from in the first place, kinda of making a challenge on one of those road two shows. Kind of saying like, yeah, you've got one opportunity, but you've also got a champion and we've got two nights of Wrestle Kingdom, so why don't you put that belt on the line? I think it'd be a, an interesting like opportunity like Again, like all we can do right now is, is speculate. I'm sure like both tournaments will give us a lot worth talking about. And like night one of the tournament, like I said, both term both are happening at the same time. And then going forward, they'll alternate. You know, the main, the last two matches of uh, night one of the tournament on the 15th of November, which is today when you're listening to this, uh, are probably really excited because like the semi main event of the evening is God and Finjus in a rematch. And then the, the final match of the night is Ishimori versus Hiromu. So a rematch from Jingu Stadium. So, you know, like, much like they did with uh, G1, where the main event at night one of A Block was like Okada v 
a boost and then they gave us Tanahashi Naito the following night like they're coming out of the gate strong they're giving you like this is what the kind of like competition you expect going forward yeah it's definitely there's, there's so many like sort of interesting matches even some of the rematches that are kind of coming up are still ones that I'm very excited for because they're matches that have been fantastic in the past mm-hmm. like I don't know if they're like Ishimori and like who uh, almost seem to be like the two like guys taking like the top two match spots on each night. But then you got guys when you look at them, like Taguchi and Sho getting opportunities to potentially steal the whole show. So like you wouldn't you shouldn't really count out the rest of the field just yet. But you know I think we've been here for quite a while. We had a lot of talk about this just coming over the hour and a half mark, and like I can easily see this passing that. And our next episode, when we have three tournaments to talk about, you know, either our G1 episode was packed. <laughs> yeah, with three tournaments in one go, we are going to have a challenge ahead of us for that. Yeah, so I think we're we're going to come back, because also the 12th of December is when Super Jacob happens, so somewhere mid-December we'll come back for our next episode. And then maybe I think we should leave it uh, between Christmas and New Year to do another episode where we're going to basically... That'll be a Wrestle Kingdom preview because I don't think we will be able to fit that into the uh, the review of the tournament. So we'll do the Wrestle Kingdom preview separately. I think we should do it between Christmas and New Year. Give it as close to Wrestle Kingdom as possible, just so we can like see the whole card like a both nights start to kind of like take shape. So uh, so that we don't do the preview and then soon really sit there and give us like any like surprise matches. That's it, because we don't know what's going to happen and this whole situation with the pandemic this year, we know how crazy, unpredictable things can be so let's not jump ahead too much we'll, we'll definitely try and squeeze something in after Christmas for, for the, the Wrestle Kingdom preview, which let's face it, that'll, that'll be a, pretty much what a year since we've done the, the, the first one and we remember how long in packed that was, so God, God knows what we're going to have <laughs> Yeah yeah, so you, know, we got, you have two episodes of East Meets West in December, you know, consider that a little uh, Christmas bonus from us here, but yeah, this is actually, this is episode 12, this has actually been a year of us, you know, doing this show, like, because like, the first episode we did, we were coming out of uh, Power uh, Struggle 2019, and like, we just started World Tag League, so that has actually been a year we've been doing this, you know, we're, we got we got stopped at like episode 4 when the pandemic hit, but since We've made up the the numbers, the number of episodes since we came back because we've had to do like multiple episodes in a single month, given how much New Japan's been cramming stuff into the program and since we came back, but, you know that's, that has been a year now, and uh, I feel like that gift of Paul Rudd, you know, the, hey, look at this, who does that? <laughs> who does <I> that? Mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely, it's, it's been a, it's been a crazy like, a year that none of us could have predicted, and. You know, let's let's see what the next year is going to bring for us with this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think given the fact that Wrestle Kingdom is two nights again, I think we're more prepared than we were the first time around for that. And hopefully, there was a bit of a delay that that first time when we make we get in the review, but hopefully it'll be quicker that time around. But I've I've enjoyed this last year. You know, I was a bit nervous, like with the pressure, how to keep up with New Japan. But I think we've done a good job this past year, and uh, I look forward to many more. Uh, episodes of this show and seeing what else New Japan's got uh, got in store for us. I'm definitely I'm with you on that one, Scott. 100%. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you enjoyed our recap of Power Struggle and New Japan Strong and we hope you're as excited for Best of Super Juniors and World Tag League and 
Super J Cup as we are. And uh, like I said, a reminder you can watch, you can, a reminder you can listen to our back catalogue of not just East and East West, but uh, our, our other shows, like our feature shows. We have our Dream Survivor Series teams that, uh, that just went up. We have a feature show on Alexa Bliss coming out next week. And then we've got, uh, I believe, a Survivor Series review the week following that. We've got ASSR Central every Thursday, which we catch all the, the news and goings on in the world of wrestling. We have Saturday Draft Live uh, every Saturday, obviously, with uh, myself, David, and Jack recapping the uh, recapping their fantasy draft. We have our, we have YouTube content like uh, we have YouTube content like we showed in latest episode is going up very soon. Uh, episodes of Book It are going to start coming out soon. David Campbell pops up occasionally with that show, the Conspiracy Theories. And uh, when I talk about East and East West, you know, some of these episodes are in our main East and Suplex Retreat feed, but remember the Suplex Retreat Extra feed is still there, even though we don't put content up there anymore, because like, the Ross Smackdown and like, the W shows kind of got merged into the Central. Uh, episode, old episodes of Saturday Draft Live and East and East West are still on there, and ours are some other like great podcasts are still available on that feed. So, you know, if you haven't listened to them in a while, or if you never got around to them the first time, to go back and check them out, you know, I mean, a lot of people like, like put some effort and have a lot of fun making them, so we hope you have fun listening to them. And remember to follow us uh, at Suplex Retreat on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram uh, to keep up with everything going on and join our community page. And if we've been here for quite a while talking about Japan, and I've plugged myself silly, so I'll just say from Grammy Robbie and myself, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>